the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California bar admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. Now, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law. And I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and wealth creation and wealth transfer and the roles these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. But I also do debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to at least seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the target and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's running rampant in our society today as more and more of us become seniors and more and more people think that that puts a big target on our back for them to be able to come in and take over our assets. Now, I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown in my home, in my makeshift studios, in another great world-class California city, that is to say the always beautiful city of Oakland, California, And I come to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. And especially if you're dealing with legal issues concerning your finances or your other uh, assets. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I think representing yourself in a legal matter, any legal matter, but especially one concerning your financial assets, is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And if you're lucky in a, in a gunfight with a butter knife, 
and your adversary is napping, you might be able to just sneak up on her and get real close and scratch her on the arm with your butter knife or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, you're the one that's going to be dead on arrival. Because as you remember, Shane didn't take a butter knife to his gunfight with the bad guys. And that is to say, by taking your butter knife, that is to say you representing yourself, you might find that your valid claims and your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So, once again, I share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money, and more probably than not in these trying times, the lack thereof, and your overall finances, and what you need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. You know, we're going to continue our discussion on creditors' rights and bankruptcy, but in as much as this show is being recorded on the 25th of February and will be uh, aired on Saturday, the last Saturday in February at the conclusion of Black History Month. I felt the need to share my thoughts on that subject with you today. Now, all month long, in and on various media outlets, except for the obvious ones, and some social media, I've been witnessing some of society's most prominent political and social critics, a.k.a. the talking head class, of which I guess now I'm a member. I've seen them or heard them and listened to them and saw them uh, share with their audience exactly who these particular talking heads believed are the great African-American figures out of our country's past who deserve some form of recognition in the month of February, and unfortunately, the truth of the matter is they get ignored for the rest of the year. And usually, I would do so as well. I trot out all my favorites, and I've done so over the years. That is to say, you know, on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday in mid-January, and at least one show each month of the year in February, I'd share my thoughts on great black people from the past who I respected and admired because of their contributions to not only the black community, but our society as a whole. But this year, I'm not so inclined. I've had some sort of epiphany for some reason. You know, I have to be honest with you, since Martin Luther King's Jr.'s birthday, I've been troubled by what I consider to be the backwards-looking, at best, focus, if at all, on moving the black community forward in America. That is to say, I've come to the conclusion that while we black folks today continue to try to make our white fellow Americans see us as their equals by sharing some of the highlights and great stories of, for example, the courage of our fallen black soldiers who put their lives on the line and died in every single war this country has been engaged in, even before its founding. And I include um, members of my own family in that cadre. Or two, you know, we discuss and, and highlight the intellect of our talented tenth who led the Harlem Renaissance in the last century and inspired, inspired millions of other blacks to strive for and obtain excellence in the fields of 
the arts and humanities, and in medicine and the law. And we also discuss the financial savvy of the business people, the bankers and the lawyers who were massacred in the Black Wall Street in Tulsa a hundred years ago this year. And yet with all the talk about us in January and February of each year, the statistics show that there's been little substantive progress in our communities to move us towards financial equity and economic justice. You know, I got to share with you, uh, the, the bottom line is that we represent, we black people represent about 13% of the American population. However, we have less than 5% of us who are in, who have achieved some foothold in the classical professions such as medicine and the law. And the numbers are less than half of that in most instances for black women. And, you know, that's not going to work for us anymore. And the sad facts also show that these numbers haven't changed substantially in the 40 years I've been a professional in the fields of technology and the law. So, in a homage to the late great civil rights icon, Fannie Lou Hamer, who, who just really took over the 1964 Democratic National Convention, I got to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of being invited to participate in so-called diversity programs and um, participate on so-called diversity and inclusion panels because they go nowhere and achieve nothing and move the racial equity odometer nowhere. So what helped me crystallize my thoughts was something that former President Obama shared with Bruce Steve's. Bruce Springsteen this week on Mr. Springsteen's podcast. And the president shared, you know, an event that happened to him in his childhood and how a person that he thought was his friend called him a name, an untoward name. And President Obama ended up popping the guy in his face and broke his nose. So I'm not going to share with you what he called uh, uh, President Obama, because that's not the point here. But President Obama shared something that hit a salient point with me. He, he, he shared, you know, the fact that probably this person did not even know what that racial slur was. But he shared that he thought perhaps that slur came from a, a, another place such as to say that young man maybe would say, I may be poor, I may be ignorant, I may be mean, I may be ugly, I may not like myself, I may be unhappy, but you know what? I'm not you, meaning that this young man was not an African-American. Mr. Obama went on to say that the basic psychology that gets institutionalized or has been institutionalized in our country is is to demonize and justify the demonization of others and give you the ability to take advantage of them, to cheat them, to steal from them, to kill them, to rape them, to imprison them, basically because 
the majority society sees this them as not being human. So I got to tell you, I'm kind of fed up with disingenuous racial diversity and inclusion rhetoric that runs amok during the Black History Month. And if the law and other American industries were truly interested in incorporating black and browns into their cadres, they'd steal Nike's slogan and just do it and just diversify their business opportunities. Like this station invited me to come on. And here I am, an African-American lawyer who is a liberal, and they just decided they needed to diversify the opinions on this station. They just did it. So if this station and other entities can just do it, I throw it out there that all of us need to just do it. And in the meantime, black and brown people need to focus on developing our own economic well-being so we can move our country forward as opposed to looking backwards. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on today's topic, what and why and how a future-focused Black economic empowerment movement would look like. And I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our Latter-day Black History Month discussion, the what, why, and how of a future-focused Black economic empowerment movement that I wish would take place during Black History Month and every other month throughout the year. Or why I'm fed up with this ingenuous racial diversity and inclusion rhetoric that seems to run amok during Black History Month each year. And I say if the law and other American industries and institutions were truly interested in incorporating black and browns into their cadres, they not only steal Nike's slogan and just do it, they just diversify their ranks and stop spreading their peas around on their ESG plates the way this station invited me to participate, knowing full well that I have a liberal bent and you know, maybe some of the other um, shows on this particular uh, network are more conservative. You don't have to be afraid of my words. And if you want to have diversity, you just have diversity. Now, again, I sh- before the break, I shared you some excerpts from a discussion President Obama had with Bruce Springsteen on the topic of racism in America today that aired earlier on Mr. Springsteen's broadcast, Renegade. And I did that because it helped me crystallize in my own mind why racism in America, to me, is like a perennial versus an annual plant. An annual plant just lives for one season. And if it were racism, if it were perennial, we as a country would have defeated it and stamped it out after the Civil War. But it is a perennial Its deadly flowers keep blooming season after season. And even when it takes a short nap or a long nap, it never really goes away. Instead, its seeds are carried on the winds to new locations that take root there and flower of the original plant will eventually rear their ugly heads again and again. Now, to destroy a perennial, especially a weed perennial, 
You have to pull it up by its roots. You have to chop it up into mulch and put it in the recycling bin of history. Unfortunately, and because I don't see any signs of the majority population doing anything about stamping out systemic racism, and I don't see how we in the black community can end this scourge on our own simply by highlighting the achievements of black leaders from history or participating in so-called diversity programs, uh, you know, put on by those members of the legal community. In my instance, I've decided I must focus my energy on helping not only my community, but the community as a whole focus on the future and not the past by helping develop tools and resources that help us become financially independent, through community education, business development, and the use of the law. Now, what crystallized my thoughts was one of the fans of this show who posted the following on her Facebook page and and sent a copy to me. And, you know, that's probably the only reason why I even know about it, because quite frankly, I don't really engage in uh, social media that much. But this person, uh, she sent this the following. She said, I'm celebrating Black History Month by acknowledging incredible Black folks who are alive today. And as we celebrate Black History Month, I wanted to celebrate an incredible woman whom I've known for nearly 30 years. And in all that time, she's never rested in her fight for economic equality for African-Americans all women and the elderly. Scary good, scary smart, and if you cross her, just plain scary. <laughs> just an incredible woman, Selwyn Whitehead rules. So, you know, I just have to thank the dear listener of the podcast who sent that those remarks to me. I, I think that was a compliment. <laughs> also, you should know what has also crystallized my thoughts for the past several months in the wake of us all witnessing the very public, and I'm going to call it murder, of George Floyd by the police in broad daylight. There have been an untold number of working groups established all across this country and nearly every industry, including the law, each set up to discuss the need for diversity and inclusion in the law and other professions. How to accomplish diversity, inclusion in the law and other professions. Explaining the difference between diversity and inclusion in the law and other professions. And, however, not ever saying out loud what really needs to be happening. How do we get over our fear that some undeserving black and brown lawyers and other professionals will come in and steal the jobs that we're entitled to because we're not black or brown. Now, they've also been discussing the need for ESG in the financial markets. Now, ESG is the new catchphrase, and it's the abbreviation for environmental, social, and governance, ESG investing. Now, ESG... Um, is a form of so-called sustainable investing that considers both the investment's financial returns as well as the overall societal impacts. And ESG uh, score measures the sustainability of the investment from three specific points of view. That is how the stock performs in the stock market as it impacts the environment that we all share 
as it impacts our societal goals and as it impacts the corporation's governance. Now, for example, one of the purported shared societal goals and diversity and inclusion in corporate governance of the stock market is the NASDAQ. Its chairperson recently announced a proposal to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission that monitors the stock exchanges such as the NASDAQ, that they want to try to improve diversity in financial markets, the management of financial markets, the corporations that are involved in financial markets, the shareholder companies that are involved in this financial market by identifying what the composition of the board is. And with the goal of having these corporations put at least two diverse directors on their board, including one who identifies him or herself as a female and another from a a social or ethnic minority group. Now, the purpose of doing this, according to NASDAQ CEO Chair Andrea Friedman, is to champion inclusion and growth and prosperity and power to stronger communities and a stronger economy. She went on to say that our goal in this proposal is to provide a transparent framework of NASDAQ-listed companies to present their board composition and diversity philosophy effectively to all of their shareholders and stakeholders. We believe that this listing rule is one step in a broader journey to achieve inclusion or inclusive representation across corporate America. I think that's a good idea, but that's something that the nonprofit that I worked for 30 years ago got major banks to do already. So it's like we're going on a, we're we're running in a circle chasing our, our tails. And it doesn't harm the corporation to do this. However, A group of Senate Republicans have decried even the reporting of the listed company's board composition, saying that such a move would interfere with the board's duty to govern in the best interest of the shareholders and likely harm the corporation's financial performance. So that's how one party of our government thinks it's just about listing people, identifying the board composition. Well, there's also been all kinds of forms of machinations and other arguments for and against simply establishing a fact-finding group in state and or congressional levels to report out to the public on the topic of possible reparations for Black Americans. These initiatives have been blasted as being incompatible with our government, our government's duties in this area. To me, these initiatives uh, are, are, are harmless. And in fact, I don't know that many of you know that America has already paid reparations. This is an area of particular interest to me. I've studied this and many people don't realize, you know, this H.R. 40 bill, which is a study on the issues surrounding the possibility of reparations, Reparations had actually been paid to some Native American tribes as compensation for compensating their land. Members of the Japanese American community for unjustly interning them after World War II and for victims of the Holocaust in Europe. That was part of the Marshall Plan that America implemented to bring that terrible war and those terrible atrocities to an end. Again, 
Mitch McConnell says, I don't think reparations for something that happened 150 years ago and for whom none of us living are responsible is a very good idea. So that just tells you why I've come to the conclusion that I don't want to really focus my energy on diversity and inclusion programs anymore. I want to focus on the future. I want black and brown people and those who support us If you care about diversity and inclusion, if you care about economic empowerment and equity, help our communities educate ourselves and develop businesses so we can move our economy, our community and our entire society's economy forward. So that's my my mission for this year's Black History Month and for going forward. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here at Tetelman's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law. And uh, that includes using the law to help uplift our entire society, including those that have been intentionally left behind. So with that, mask up, keep your social distance, wash your hands, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.